1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today we're going to continue answering your questions that you may have related to COVID-19 as well as any general health and wellness questions that you may have. We can take those as well. Our number is 1877 MPB ring 1877 672
2: 7464. Hello Kevin. Good morning Josie. Hope you're doing well this morning.
1: I can't complain and if I did nobody would care. <laughs>
2: There's nobody there to complain to. Either. There's, no,
1: there's nobody there to complain to. That's right. I'm, I'm in my little uh, house, all socially distanced appropriately.
2: That's right. And just a reminder, uh, Josie's joining us via Skype so that we are practicing uh, that social distancing. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to start off with uh, being a little bit... Uh, uh, um, uh, um. Uh, executive privilege, I call it, as the producer yes. of the show. Um, <laughs> so social distancing, w- w- why is that so important? And and do you think that most of us are, are finally getting with the program?
1: Well, so we talked about kind of last week kind of the different definitions of what quarantine is, social distancing, social isolation. But really what we're trying to do is stop the spread, right? This virus doesn't move on its own It has to have people to move it around. And so the less we are moving around and the less in terms of going places, you can certainly move around your home. I encourage you to. But the the fewer places that we're going and the fewer people that we're interacting with helps to slow the spread. So when we look at um, the way viruses are transmitted in terms of epidemiology and we look at how virulent something is or how many people you can infect per infected person, um, we, we call that an R number. And so an R of one means if you um, have it, you're able to infect one person. Well, with coronavirus, it's a, anywhere from about two to three. So each person that is Shedding the virus can infect, you know, two to three people. And so that's why we see such kind of explosive growth in this when there is not a limitation on the number of people that you interact with or the different types of places that you go.
2: All right. Um, The other thing that I was interested in is uh, we've heard on the news that there is increased testing. I know UMC now has that drive through testing facility Mm -hmm. in Jackson. The State Department of Health is ramping up their testing uh, procedures and availability. But my question is, who should be tested? If I understand correctly, if you aren't showing symptoms of fever or the dry cough or, or the shortness of breath, they're saying that right now they don't want you to get a test. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Currently um, the CDC actually has listed out priorities and they have kind of three categories, priority one testing, priority two, and priority three. And people who are asymptomatic or currently not exhibiting any symptoms fall into that priority three category. So that would be if resources allowed, then Perhaps we would test those folks, but we're not there yet. So, priority one are your people who are already in the hospital and are symptomatic, as well as symptomatic healthcare workers. And then, priority two goes down into, uh, you know, different maybe folks that are in a residential facility or just your general public that is symptomatic with those symptoms that you mentioned. Um, and, and depending on who is running the testing site, Which one of those symptoms you are exhibiting, it matters. Uh, Pretty much the one that I see universally is fever. Um, If you have a fever, and initially it started out with you had to have a fever over a certain amount. Now that's kind of been relaxed out a little bit because there were no thermometers at a lot of the stores. Those had been bought out. So even a subjective fever, meaning you feel like you have fever, you feel warm or hot to the touch, chills, those types of things. Um, can get you qualified for testing. Uh, but eat, You know, don't just show up at those mobile testing sites. Um, that is why that um, C-SPIRE health app is there for you to call. It's staffed by nurse practitioners. They take your call, screen you for the questions uh, and criteria. And if you meet those, then you get an appointment uh, time to go through those mobile testing sites.
2: And I think uh, we might, most of us might have seen it on television, but the test doesn't sound too pleasant. It's the, like sticking <laughs> a swab up your nose. Is that right? Right. So
1: the, the type of uh, test or the way we get a sample, we want a nasopharyngeal sample. And that big word just means the part of your throat that attaches to the back of your nose. And so that's not a part of the anatomy that most people really think about because it's not one that you can see by just kind of looking in your throat or looking up your nose. It's all the way at the back of the nasal cavity where it joins on to your throat. Kind of if you've ever had post-nasal drip and you felt kind of snot dripping down the back of your throat. It's coming from your nose, from that nasopharyngeal area. And so, to get a sample there, we have to take a swab and stick it in your nose to the back of that cavity. It it looks bad. It's not horrible. It's certainly not something that I would qualify, uh, kind of describe as pleasant. Um, but you can still talk. You can still breathe. All of those different kinds of things. But It is a deeper swab than you probably think about. Um, You know, it's not just kind of tickling the inside of your nose. It is a, 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 a deeper
2: swab and then uh, my last question and then we'll we'll turn to some of the questions that you've gotten through your facebook page and by the way if someone is listening and has a question they can call us at 1877 mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 so if you test positive uh, with the the coronavirus test what what happens then
1: Well, you know, really, so first of all, CDC website has great guidance on that that tells you what to do, but it really depends on how symptomatic you are, right? If you are doing well, you've got some fever, you don't feel good, you've got your cough, mild shortness of breath, but you're not in distress, then the treatment is really to stay home, right? And it takes it a step farther from quarantine to really to isolation right so if you're living with other folks you kind of want to distance yourself from them as as well Um, If you're having difficulty breathing and showing signs of respiratory distress, then that is when it's time to seek emergency treatment. A lot of places are recommending that you also call um, the emergency department when you're on your way there to let them know so that they're prepared for your arrival.
2: All right. As I mentioned, uh, some questions here that you got from your Facebook page. And this first one I like because it kind of combines what we're talking about currently with what we talk about uh, on the show in general. And the uh, question says, the information out there is confusing concerning being outside, going for a walk or a bike ride. Are the current recommendations to not do those activities? And I think I know the answer, but go ahead, Josie. (laughs) Josie.
1: I bet you do. The answer is outside is not closed. So it is fine to go outside. We do want to pay attention to where we're going and who we're interacting with. So if you normally ride bikes as part of a bike group, then that's not something that we want you to do. But absolutely going for a walk or a jog or a bike ride in your neighborhood and maintaining the appropriate distance between folks, which is at least six feet, um, then that that's fine. And I encourage you to do that. Even just going outside and, and sitting and getting some sunshine, just being out of your house is important This for mental health. You know, we want to make sure that we are knowing what time of the day it is. That helps us to... Um, set a good sleep pattern and so if we're inside in front of the television all day long and we're not paying attention to anything going on outside it's hard for our body to know what what time of the day it is so getting outside and getting exposed to some sunshine is never a bad idea
2: uh what about if a park has a playground uh, again mm. you know close proximity is one thing but it's a, say it's there's nobody there is there a worry about the, the germs the virus being left on the the metal bars the monkey bars the jungle gyms that sort of thing
1: yeah absolutely most places if a park is still open then the playgrounds are closed um you know the, i think the first week we really did questions about COVID, somebody asked about stability of the virus on different surfaces, and we were really working on, you know, the best information that we had at that particular time. Of course, the um, JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, has released new information about that, you know, 24 hours on cardboard, um, two to three days on, you know, stainless steel, that kind of stuff, and we have to keep in mind that That information is, of course, obtained from controlled situations in a lab. And so what effect does sunshine, humidity, moisture, all of those different things have on that? Um, I don't think we know at this point. If we do, I haven't read it. I haven't seen it. hasn't come across my my news desk yet. Uh, So I would call that non-essential in terms of playing on playground equipment and just stick to playing yourself, you know, take a ball with you and throw it around those kinds of things and, and avoid uh, those playground equipments. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. If
0: you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And we're answering your questions today about COVID-19, as well as other questions about how to stay healthy and fit. Our number is one
2: All right, uh, Josie, one, I, I, I lied. I said I was done with my questions, but I did think of one more. <laughs> uh, and after that, we've got a caller on the line and still a couple of your Facebook uh, comments to go through as well. Uh, what about the temperature of the water? Is it important to make sure that the water is warm, hot, cold? Does the temperature make a lot of difference?
1: So definitely not hot. When we use super hot water to wash our hands, it actually dries the hands out more, which can lead to cracking, which can then lead to infection, not from necessarily coronavirus, but skin infections, if we're breaching the um, integrity of the skin. But warm water does lather better. It means you make more bubbles. And the more bubbles you make, the more kind of germ trapping capability that it has to help break down the protein layers in, in viruses and germs and help remove them from the hands. So nice warm water. Although if you don't have warm water, all you have is cold water. Doesn't doesn't mean don't wash your hands, still wash your hands, use what you have, but warm water does lather better. And so, you know, some other tips and tricks with, Uh, hand washing or hand hygiene, which there's lots of videos floating around um, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube on proper hand hygiene and how to wash your hands. They're great. Um, Making sure that we wash them for 20 seconds. So, you know, singing happy birthday twice, or there's lots of, of memes out there with different songs that you can sing for that. But some of the things that I don't see covered that we're taught as nurses are also important. So, while hand-washing is great, we also want to limit the amount of germs that, that can stick to our hands to start with. And so there are certain things that increase the amount of things that would stick to you, right? And one would be if you have on a lot of jewelry, right? If we have on um, rings that have a lot of stones and facets and, and nooks and crannies and filigree on it, that can hang on to things. So that's why most nurses um, kind of leave those things at home. Uh, or you may see them sometimes pinned to people's scrubs, uh, during, especially during, uh, cold and flu season. I actually wear one of the, uh, silicone, uh, bands cause it's just much easier to clean. Although right now I don't have on any, I've taken, um, all jewelry off so that there's nothing extra for anything to stick to. The other is fingernails while, um, you know, pretty nice, long fingernails can be cute. Uh, they can also trap germs. And so keeping your nails short helps as well. Uh, when I was in nursing school, we weren't allowed to have anything past a quarter of an inch past the end of our finger. So that's kind of a, a good uh, rule of thumb. Uh, artificial nails are, are not something that we want to be utilizing because they can trap the particles underneath the artificial nail, uh, as well as fingernail polish. If you have that fingernail polish on and it's not in good repair, so it's chipped and cracked and all of those kinds of things that can hang on to extra germs and then keeping, um, the cuticles nice and soft so that you don't have a lot of hangnails and rough edges and all of that kind of stuff. All that just sets you up for more successful hand-washing.
2: All right, as I said, we've got a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Henry, who's calling from Oxford. Henry, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please.
0: Thank you very much. One of my concerns is I've got a marsh garden. I go down to the Whirlpool Trail, and a lot of people be bringing their animals. And I mm-hmm. see the animals be, you know, licking people on their face, and they're bringing them up to me. And I'm, I'm concerned, what should I do about the animal trying to lick me in my hands and face?
1: I mean, I would just kind of back away from that situation you know you're in control of that situation um you know animals are not considered or dogs in particular are not considered transmitters of this virus but i hear yeah, i don't necessarily want somebody's dog licking all over me either um so i would just respectfully kind of say i'm sorry I, i'm gonna back away um from your animal all
0: right thanks
1: a lot you're welcome
2: Thanks, Henry, for your call. This is uh, Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell taking your coronavirus questions, but also any questions you might have about just generally being healthy and fit. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one uh, Here is another question that came from your Facebook page, and it says, I've seen some headlines about certain blood types and increased risk for COVID-19. Are these true?
1: Yeah, so that uh, came out probably a little bit over a week ago and was really floating around Facebook with people kind of looking at what the heck is going on here and is there any validity to it. Now, I've still only seen the one study on that that came out. Um, It was a a preprint. And so what we mean by preprint is it kind of bypassed what is normally done in journals and releasing scientific information where it's usually peer reviewed, meaning other experts in the field look at how the study was done and the number of people in the study and all those kinds of things to make sure that it's generalizable. So this was released preprint or or pre-peer review. Doesn't mean it's not valid or worthwhile, just a a caveat there. Um, The other is, of course, this was coming out of China. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of really only applicable to that population right now because it hasn't been replicated in anywhere else. And looking at it, they looked at um, it was about a little over 2,000 people, and they uh, compared them to n- normal people, so people who had tested positive for COVID-19, and then people who were not positive for COVID-19. And they looked at the various blood groups, so type A, type O, type. B and type AB. And what they found in this small group of folks was that blood type A um, had an odds ratio of 1.2, meaning about a 20% increased risk of being uh, infected with uh, COVID 19. And they found that the blood group O was about 33% less likely. Now, what does that mean in terms of generalizability to the general population? We don't know yet. Um, it just continues to further highlight the fact that we need to be socially distancing. We need to be washing our hands. We need to be not touching our face and not going non-essential places.
2: All right. Uh, we've got another caller on the line. So now we're going to say good morning to Jean, who's called in from Jackson. Gene, you're on the air with us. Go ahead.
0: Hi, I read
1: that I take an ACE inhibitor and i read
0: that mm. can increase the severity of the illness if you get
1: it. Right, so that has been coming out some as well, um, in particular because of the ACE2 um, situation and how the virus kind of a- attaches in the respiratory system. So uh, you know, the research is still evolving on that. So right now there's not any clinical indication to stop an ACE inhibitor or an ARB on anyone because we just don't know enough about it yet. But you will see that kind of floating out there um, in the media and something that absolutely scientists are looking at, but nothing um, to say we should stop those things currently. Okay, thank you. You're welcome.
2: Thanks for your call, Gene. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy, healthy and fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell. If you have a question, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 Another question from your Facebook page, uh, and it maybe asks for a timeline on developing a vaccine. Mm,
1: that's another, another tough one, uh, because in, in particular vaccine development, takes a while, right? We've got to first of all find something that we th- we think would work and then it usually goes into, you know, animal testing and lots of different phases uh, of testing and so it's not something that we can just quickly turn around. The, you know, some estimates that I've seen on vaccine development in terms of evaluating the safety and efficacy of it have been, you know, 12 to 18 months on that. So um, you know, I just—it's again one of those things where we just don't know yet, but it's not going to be a super quick process.
2: All right. Uh, the other thing that uh, Michelle, our uh, Macadoo, our coworker here at MPB asked about that I thought was interesting, and that is that you know we've heard this idea that if you have sort of non-essential surgeries and that sort of thing, to to postpone them, not go to the doctor. But what if you really th- think that you are sick, that you have symptoms of something that you don't think is the coronavirus, but you're not mm-hmm. feeling well? Should you still maybe call your doctor first? What what would you advise people to do if they ha- think they have some other sort of illness?
1: Absolutely, because you're going to have some other types of illness, right? There's still flu going around. There's, you know, stomach virus or, you know, things that are not even infectious infectious right maybe you've got migraine headaches and they are not getting relief from that or you've got high blood pressure and it's time for your normal checkup and refills of your medication should absolutely contact your healthcare provider on that most folks have moved into some form of telehealth delivery of services and what i've seen a lot of uh, people be concerned about is maybe if they're at a, a small a small town with limited uh, tech capabilities, they think maybe they can't launch telemedicine. But nationally, the, the um, laws and restrictions that we've had on what qualifies as telehealth have been relaxed. And so, even just a telephone visit, so just audio only, um, is covered by a lot of different insurers. And so, that's something that almost every healthcare um, office has, is a telephone, to be able to um, evaluate symptoms over the phone. Um, and, and then there are a lot of video um, platforms that are now approved for telehealth as well. So that if we need to see someone visually to assess a symptom, we're able to do that as well. So by all means, contact your healthcare provider for further direction on your symptoms.
2: All right, let's uh, get one more in before the next break, and uh, this one is right up my alley, especially after I play tennis at night. Uh, Generic Advil, Tylenol, Arthritis, or Aleve, what works best for minor aches and pains?
1: Well, you know, it's a very heated topic, and a lot of folks, everybody has their favorite, you know, and they're, you know, fundamentally a little different, right? So Aleve is the brand name for naproxen um, and Advil is ibuprofen, which is also the same thing as Motrin. And then Tylenol is acetaminophen, right? And so your Aleves and your Motrins and Advils, those fall into a class of medicines called NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Whereas Tylenol is technically not, um, considered an NSAID. And so for a lot of people, especially folks that have a lot of Inflammation going on, they feel like the Aleves and the Advil's uh, work better for their pain. Um, and so they prefer to take those, which is fine. Myself, I'm completely allergic to the NSAID group. So that's not an option for me. So Tylenol is my only go there. I will say that, you know, these are all over the counter medications. And just because something is over the counter doesn't mean it's risk free. Your um, NSAIDs or those Motrin's and Aleve's do have the potential to irritate the stomach lining and cause ulcers in the stomach. So you want to be careful with those, especially if you have a history of gastric ulcers. So I usually always encourage folks to eat with those and to take the lowest um, dose that is effective. And then Tylenol, there is a limit on the amount of that that you should take in a day as well um, because it can cause... um, some liver issues if you overconsume Tylenol. So they're not benign medications, but whichever one works best for you and is not contraindicated for some other health reason that you have is fine to take for your minor aches and pains. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app.
2: Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour arts interview show on think radio every week myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative mississippians we talk with visual artists musicians writers as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities we hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process you can hear the arts hour every sunday at 5 p.m on think radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show Through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. We're answering your coronavirus questions today, as well as your just general questions about how to stay healthy and fit during this time. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We're going to go straight on over to the phone lines and talk with Bill, who is on the road today. Good morning, Bill.
0: Good morning. Uh-
1: what can I do for you?
0: Well, uh, my question was, like, I heard him say earlier that uh, it doesn't have to be uh, coronavirus-related or anything. So my question is, yeah. I, I've got this going on with my throat, my, my okay. larynx and all. And I had went to the uh, throat doctor about it uh, earlier this month, and uh, I, I used up all my antibiotics. I'm still using two nasal sprays, one three times a day and one twice a day. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just not getting better. And uh, you can hear it okay. right now. And If I don't sip on water, it's so growly. I had to ride over here to Hammond to pick up some electrical parts from my house. And uh, mm-hmm. they were kind of scared of me. And I, and I oh. think it's kind of kind of what uh, allergies or something because my eyes look a little red. And because uh, I didn't have the drops in them recently. And my mm-hmm. voice is just bad. And, yeah.
1: uh,
0: I've never had this like this. I've had this over four months in my throat. Uh, and it don't seem to be going away, even though all my doctor I got this month on it. Uh, okay. Y'all okay. got an idea what this is?
1: Uh, so it started about four months ago, correct?
0: Yeah. Uh, okay.
1: And, and started and I, as just kind of the hoarseness or yeah, other symptoms.
0: Just, just hoarseness, and, uh, just hoarseness. and if I don't okay. exercise, my voice or sip some water or something or lemon juice or something, it, it almost doesn't work at all. Uh, okay. And
1: okay. And when did you first go to the doctor about that?
0: Uh, it was at the uh, first of March. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: And you saw a regular doctor or an ear, nose, and throat doctor?
0: Ear, nose, and throat doctor in Macomb. Okay.
1: Uh, in Macomb. Okay. Did they do any scoping or anything and look down at your vocal cords?
0: I just happen to have a scope that I use in automotive work. Uh, I looked down my throat and looked at it and went to it after <laughs> I saw it because it looked like something growing on the back wall of my throat. I couldn't see way down in there, but I saw it and it scared me. It looked like a formation of uh, of something, like push pockets or something, but a honeybee hive or something like that. But he looked down at okay. the, well, I hadn't had a doctor stick, a, 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 a popsicle stick down my throat, 40 something years, but he looked down in there like that. And, uh, okay. He, yeah. I, I, and, uh, I don't know. It just didn't fix it. Uh, okay. Antibiotics, it didn't fix it
1: and you had uh, some antibiotics and some nasal sprays and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And I'm still taking the nasal sprays. Uh, that, that okay. The antibiotics are gone. Okay. And he had okay. a steroid okay. in there too. Uh, Okay. And it's, it's been gone.
1: Okay. So, and it didn't get better at all with any of those treatments?
0: Well, my, my, dried up. Uh, it's not, it's not uh, like sinus strain. I thought it was sinus strain and I'd wake mm. up like that into my, into my uh, vocal cords would just be coated. I couldn't hardly swallow upheaval. Mm. It's just so okay. sticky. And, uh, okay. I don't know what's going on.
1: Okay. Do you have heartburn or acid reflux at all? N- no.
0: Uh, they asked okay. me that. And, I don't. I don't try to swallow real hard but to aggravate it, make me have a sore throat, because that stuff mm-hmm. don't, don't just swallow down. I just kind of get
1: yeah. water. Yeah, the I ask because sometimes it, at nighttime when we're sleeping, if that acid kind of is is refluxing back into the esophagus, it can irritate the vocal cords, and that can be one of the things that we see with kind of prolonged. Hoarseness. Um, but well, if the ear, nose, and throat doctor did not do that scope himself and look down in there, it's time to, to call the ENT back um, for a reevaluation of that. Everything that was done initially was appropriate, uh, but if you're not better, then we've got to kind of look for other things that are going on. You know, is it being damaged from some kind of, of acid splash back? Do we have polyps on the vocal cord? Something like yeah. that. So it's time for a re on that because everything else go, has been done appropriately.
0: Would I need to go back to him or you said EMT?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you are comfortable with that ear, nose, and throat doctor and you have a good relationship with mm-hmm. them and they're already treating you, that would be probably the easiest place to go back um, and be seen. But give them a call first because they may be doing things by telehealth or maybe doing only urgent visits they currently. So they are so busy in there. Uh, I know, I, was I know. The first
0: time, because they was putting people ahead of me and I, I had the foreman and I've been 40 minutes and people still coming in ahead of me and I, I left. And I went back with a later appointment with uh, with it. But uh, yeah. Well, I guess I will. I'm just trying to hang in there with this because it's just horrible. And I, I was in breakfast line the other morning and, and um, I leaned over this lady's shoulder and looked in the in the in the deli there and I said, They're out of grits. And she turned around, looked at me, she said, I love your voice I said, Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. This is not my voice. But okay. Well thank you all so much. All right. We love y'all your show. You're-
1: Absolutely, but please make sure you get it taken care of because chronic hoarseness is something that we always want to make sure we get evaluated, okay? All right, thank you so much for your call, Bill, and stay safe on the road.
2: All right, this is uh, Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell answering questions about COVID-19 and the coronavirus, but also any questions that you have about staying healthy and fit. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Another question from Josie's Facebook page, which Josie helped me on my memory's bad at my this age, but I think I remembered it's healthy habits with Josie.
1: You are correct there. Right. Kevin.
2: I got my gold star for the day. Uh, That's right. Two good questions here. Let's do this one first. It says after getting necessities at the grocery store, what should my routine be? Do I need to wipe down all the groceries? What about fresh veggies and fruits?
1: Excellent question. And there's actually a really good YouTube video going around by a physician who's showing you how to kind of clean those things. But just like I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, we've got this kind of new information about how long the virus survives on cardboard and plastic and those kinds of things. Now, the caveat that is survival of the virus does not necessarily mean um, that it has great infective properties right? And, you know, the longer it stays on the material, the uh, more of the virus that will kind of die off there. But it is prudent to pay attention to what you're bringing in your house and how you're um, handling those things. So, you know, aside from making sure that you're washing your hands when you leave the grocery store, when you unload those groceries you know, think about kind of keeping them all in one particular area. For me, I unload my groceries in the garage and things that I don't need right now. So maybe, you know, I've got a couple extra boxes of cereal, things like that. I just kind of leave them there and, you know, I can leave them sitting there for a couple of days and they'll be fine. Things that I need to maybe refrigerate or put in the freezer First of all, look at the packaging, right? So if it's in a cardboard box and the food on the inside is wrapped in, in something else, maybe it's in a plastic bag on the inside of that box, or it's a frozen pizza that that's wrapped. Then I just go ahead and take that outer box off and throw it away. Um, if it's something that has to stay in the in the package that it's in, then just give it a wipe down, right? So a wipe down with um, a Clorox wipe, a disinfectant wipe of some nature. And let that dry, and then it's kind of kind of good to go uh, on that. Now, fruits and vegetables, the, um, the latest guidelines on those are that you wash them the same way you would always wash your fruits and vegetables. So not really having to do a whole lot of anything different there, but just make sure that you're washing them with clean water and that you're giving them some friction, right? So maybe a veggie brush, um, a cloth, something like that to really try and get any surface um, dirt and germs off of it there and then dry them up and use them. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB
1: Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we're answering your questions today about coronavirus and COVID-19, as well as your general healthy and fit questions. That number is 1-877-MPB-RING. And we're going to go right on over to the phone lines as we've got Billy in Benton this morning. Hello, Billy. How are you doing? I'm all right. What can I help you with?
0: Ask your question. Uh- I see a lot of people going around wearing those masks. Mm. Are those masks too porous to stop that virus from going in, into your respiratory system?
1: How do you know? So, yeah, well, so there's different kinds of masks. There's the N95 respirator, which is what a lot of the healthcare providers are using. And then there are the surgical masks which the surgical masks are the ones that most people can buy or used to could buy readily um, at, you know, grocery store, pharmacy, those kinds of things. Yeah. And so there are different filtering capabilities between those, um, depending on the micron size of what it's filtering out. And so different masks have different filtering capabilities. The Really the problem with Some of the surgical masks is how tightly they fit the face. And so there's usually gaps on the side of the face as well as gaps around the nose and around the chin, especially in folks who... Um, don't apply them correctly. And so even if the filtering capability of the mask was adequate, then the stuff would still kind of escape around the the non-sealed areas on the mask. So, you know, one of the things I see a lot is people put the mask on and then they stick their nose out of it. That's doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Go
0: ahead. Uh, If you use a mask, can you use hydrogen peroxide to sterilize it or that work p 20
1: 2 Yeah, so if we if you wet the surface of those, it's likely going to degrade the um, integrity of the mask. So surgical masks in particular are created for kind of one-time use only. The N95 masks that are you know are more the ones that we see, you know, sometimes people in construction have those or right. Um, you know, painters, those kinds of, of folks, there are some different ways uh, to sterilize those. Those are actually usually good for multiple hours as well. Um, yeah. what, what's, what's being evaluated now is how best can we disinfect those on a large scale. Um, there's been some thought uh, toward using, um, you know, UV. Uh, Light exposure, not necessarily sun exposure, but actual UV light machines to disinfect Mm -hmm. those as Mm -hmm. well as, you know, dry heat, autoclave and that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, I caution the general public in in wearing masks if we don't know how to put them on and take them off correctly. What I normally see is people put them on and then when they go to take them off, they grab the front of the mask and pull it off. Which that's where all the germs are. So you know, there's uh, different. There's there's better ways uh, to do that. But you know, if you're using a mask, when you remove that mask, the first thing you should do is wash your hands uh, because you okay. have to assume that your hands are contaminated.
0: Okay, that'll work. That's what I want to know then. Now, thank you for your time.
1: You're welcome. Bye. Bye.
2: This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell. Josie, we've got some phone calls getting lined up here, but we haven't gotten them quite ready to go yet. So let's answer this question. It says, my husband has to work delivering food to stores. What method should working people follow upon arriving at home daily to avoid bringing the virus into their homes?
1: Oh, that's a great question, and God bless that husband who is making sure that foods uh, food is available for us to purchase. Um, the same thing is going on with healthcare workers uh, that are going out, and how we are trying to prevent bringing those things into our house. Um, number one rule is the shoes need to stay outside, um, you know, and and not bring the sh- bring your shoes that you wear to work inside. Inside the house. And so what I actually do is um, I wipe the bottom of my shoes off. Of course, I have some gloves on. I wipe my shoes off uh, with some disinfectant wipes and then I take those off and store them in a box in my car. Uh, And I have a fresh pair of shoes that I then put on uh, to wear in my car. But no shoes really come in my house um, if they've been outside. Uh, The other is, you know, if you feel like your clothes uh, have been contaminated with something, just go ahead and take those clothes off. Put those directly over into the washing machine uh, to, to wash and then go to the shower. Uh, and get a shower and that's kind of my process. Uh, I'm thankful that our house renovations are over with and we now have a garage that I can go in because before I was just kind of stripping down in the backyard which is probably not anything my neighbors wanted to see but you know trying to protect your family by leaving things that are contaminated out and getting directly into the shower to get those things
2: washed. All right let's see if we can end on a couple of phone calls. First we'll uh, talk to Gwen from Rose Hill. Good morning Gwen go ahead
0: i wondering if um, salt kills the virus, like if you wash your vegetables with salt.
1: Hmm. You know, that is an excellent question. I have not seen any information on it. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure it would have to do with how much salt and what concentration of, of saline you actually got it to. So I don't know the answer to that, but I'm putting it on my list. And so I'm going to do a little digging and see if I can find the answer to that. If I find it, I will post it over on my Facebook page as well as get them to stick it on this podcast link. And I'll bring that information to you guys next week on the show as well. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Gwen. All right. Uh, the last call we have is a Billy in Vicksburg. Go ahead, Billy. You're on the air with us.
0: Yes. uh, Can you use vinegar as a disinfectant to kill the coronavirus?
1: The last thing that I saw was showing that vinegar was not as effective as some of the more the EPA registered disinfectants. Um, And so, yeah, so that's that's the last information that I've seen. I'll check and make sure that there hasn't been any update in the last couple of days. Um, but as far as a household cleaner, of course, not that we're applying to food, but, um, diluted Clorox, um, you know, there's a a dilution recipe for that on the CDC website, as well as your Lysols and those types of things that have an EPA designation for killing coronavirus are your, are your standard go-to's. Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Have a good day. We've had a lot of callers named Bill or Billy today, Kevin.
2: (laughs) The Williams of the world are out there wanting to be informed.
1: That's right. That's great.
2: All right. So got about uh, two minutes left. And I don't know, this might seem like kind of a crazy question, but do viruses serve any useful purpose?
1: Oh, gosh. Kevin, why you got to throw that at me? Um, You know, I'm going to go off the top of the hand and say disease-causing viruses are not really something that we uh, want to spread around. Um, I'll have to ask my super smart science husband, because he is a research scientist, if viruses have any beneficial um, part to his world, which they may. Uh,
2: The other thing that's interesting to me is that apparently the viruses are very good at adapting and mutating. And isn't that's, you know, how like with the flu, isn't that why we have to have a different flu vaccine every year? Because the virus tends to adapt so that it can continue to thrive.
1: Right. So we have different mutations that occur um, so that it can infect things differently. So that's usually when we have the word strain, you know, that's thrown around a lot that we have different strains going on. And so, you know, we have, we know a lot of the strains for the seasonal flu. We don't always know which strains are going to be um, prevalent in any particular flu season. That's why there are epidemiologists that are looking and virologists that are looking at patterns across the world to see what is in circulation so that we can make the best estimate of what is going to circulate in that next flu season and then build the flu vaccine accordingly to that.
2: All right. And then a final minute. Um, let's say, why don't you, if you could go through your, your quick tips again for proper hand washing.
1: Yeah. So warm water good soap. Make a good lather on your hands and make sure you hit all those parts of the hands, the palms, the back of the hand, in between the fingers, around the fingernails, around your wrist as well. Get in all of those places. Rinse all the soap off. Make sure we dry with paper towels and then use a dry paper towel to cut the water off. Taking off any jewelry that we don't need Uh, including watches if they're hanging on to stuff and then making sure that our fingernails are nice and short and that any fingernail polish we have on is in good condition. If it's chipped or cracked or anything like that, it needs to come off because it's just helping to hang on to germs. dr josie bidwell associate professor of preventive medicine and nurse practitioner at the university of mississippi medical center thanks for listening to the southern remedy healthy and fit podcast if you have a question you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my facebook page healthy habits with josie for ongoing information on staying healthy and fit subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app